evening, everyone, and welcome to this cloud debate. On the 14th of July, we are tonight, of course, being very mindful of what's happening around us and in our country. And as the University of Johannesburg, our hearts go out to those who have been affected by the COVID pandemic, and of course, also the current disruptions around the country that's hit us all hard. And I hope that you're all safe. And I'm very happy to see that so many of you have been able to join us tonight. My name is Ilva Rodnigomerde, and I am the head of the international office here at the University of Johannesburg, and also a professor in the School of Communication. Tonight, we are going to talk about ransomware. Ooh, scary things. Uh, hacking is, of course, big business, and so is ransomware when people are being blackmailed to give over data or to uh, do other things, pay up to be released and not blocked from uh, interacting on the internet and um, uh, through the uh, conduct their businesses as per usual. Ransomware is also sold for big business uh, to protect companies from hackers and people holding them ransom and blackmailing them. Some of these issues and questions will be much more uh, dwelled into in much more detail by our two panelists that we have online uh, tonight. Uh, and with me tonight on tonight's panel, I have Professor Joey Johnson van Furen, who heads the computer science department at Twani University of Technology. Her research is on cybersecurity and education and government policy. And she is the previous coordinator of the South African Cybersecurity Center of Innovation for the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, the CSIR, uh, that initiated several cybersecurity government initiatives in South Africa. And I also have my colleague here at the University of Johannesburg, Dr. Jakob de Toit, who works as a senior lecturer in the Academy of Computer Science and Software Engineering. Um, here at the University of Johannesburg, as I said. He's also the Deputy Director of the Center for Cybersecurity. A warm welcome to you both. It's going to be fascinating to hear more about ransomware, but also the work that you are both doing in your capacities at two different universities in South Africa, but also the way that you have engaged them with government policy around cybersecurity. I'm going to start by turning to you, Joey. What is ransomware? Please do explain it to us. I think you actually uh, did uh, put a little bit inside what ransomware is. It's very much the same. If you have to pay ransom for, uh, for your life, et cetera, the only difference is actually now using the computer for ransomware. But we've got different types of ransomware. The first one is the crypto ransomware. You've heard a lot about this crypto ransomware is uh, where they actually uh, uh, encrypt your data and you have to pay for the data uh, to get your data back. So that means you don't have access to your data. It's still there, but you can't see it because it's encrypted. The other one is the locker ransomware. That is where you, they actually lock your system out of you, uh, out. That means you don't, you can't access your computer at all. Maybe that's what happened with your computer. I hope not. Then uh, the other one is scareware. 
Now, scareware is a very interesting one as that one uh, is used to scare you and say, you know, you've got these vulnerabilities on your computer and therefore with these vulnerabilities, you have to pay us, then we will take the vulnerabilities out. It's not necessary that you've got the vulnerabilities, but it's possible that you've got it and you then automatically pay. And then there's uh, the last one is Docsware. That is uh, that we see a lot now, uh, even on social media, is when people get access to uh, private photos, etc., and then they ask you to pay money, otherwise they will distribute it in the on the internet. It's also financial information and things like that. So I think uh, normally in Docsware they talk about computer information from different companies, but I see social media the same. If I get, you know, uh, we had uh, often that people put pictures on the internet or give uh, ex-boyfriends uh, pictures and then when they, if they break up, it's a problem, then they want payment for those pictures. So that is actually the type of ransomware that is more well-known uh, in over the world. Now, there's also different applications with that. You've got the ones that is no, that we were used to about two, three years ago, where individuals were attacked or the hospitals were attacked. But now, why, uh, a days, the ransomware is not small change anymore. It's not 400 bitcoins or four bitcoins and five bitcoins anymore. It is now big. The last ransomware, the Kaisaya ransomware attack that is only uh, uh, by busy resolving it now was 70 million dollars ransomware. Now you can work about that's about a billion rands. It's very, very expensive for a payout of this ransomware. Now most of these ransomware, the big ones, are done by different groups, and most of them are Russian groups. That's very interesting. And the most active group is actually this rival hacker group. And this hacker group is the same group that now attacked this, uh, this last attack. And even South African companies were attacked with this last group. So that means in this last group attack, it was actually uh, what they do is they take systems down. And this guy, uh, attack was also a problem because it's the first time that they do an attack that it was actually going to a, a third degree. That means it's going to clients of uh, the company at clients that's doing support on IT systems and security systems. So by at about 60 clients and that 60 clients serviced about 1,500 businesses over the world. So that means doing it this way with the supply chain, they got access to so much more uh, companies that they could get the money from. And that is why this one was so expensive. It's a, a very, very big okay. one. Just to pause there for a bit. Um, so this is software used for blackmail purposes. And That's great. As, you, as you said, and you talked a little bit, Joey, about these different usages. So maybe Jacko, can yeah. you just talk us through a little bit more, maybe the different uses of this particular software? Okay, so I think um, Joey did discuss quite a few of them, but maybe let's take the, 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 I think the, the most well-known one that's currently quite active, which is the crypto ransomware one. Uh, what we see happening there is a user of a system might be fooled into downloading some malware or typically they call it some kind of software dropper. 
And this can come in via an email, for instance. So you get an email and there's maybe a hyperlink in there or an attachment. And then as soon as you click on that, it starts a small little program on your computer. It might be so new that your antivirus program does not pick it up because remember antivirus programs are not perfect. They can only know about things that they know about and they don't know everything. So basically it starts downloading the actual ransomware package. And this is now just a piece of software effectively that runs on top of your computer. Now I talk about computers now, but we also get this on multiple other de devices like smartphones, internet of things, devices, and that kind of things. But anyway, let's take the example of a computer now. So as this program starts running, it actually goes through the directories and files on your computer. And that's quite interesting. So it looks for the typical ones, look for your data files because it doesn't want to stop the whole computer from running, uh, except if it's the locky or the locker type of ransomware. So it just looks at some of your data files. Now, what are, what are data files? Well, these are all your, your photos, perhaps your pictures, those, your family pictures. It might be your word documents, your Excel spreadsheets. It can be some of your databases that's perhaps on your, on your computer or on some of the servers that you're connected to. And then what it does is it generates these, um, it starts scrambling them so that there is no way for you to actually get access to that data anymore. So the files are still there, but they are written in such a way so that it can only be unlocked or the technical word is to be decrypted if we give it the correct key. Now, this is where the trick comes in because now that it's encrypted with this weird key or whatever, you typically will then get a message on your screen saying, hey, listen, your program has been infected by this and this and this ransomware. Um, click here to pay a certain amount of Bitcoin. And they typically do this using um, cryptocurrency. And the reason for that is because the cryptocurrency is anonymous. Um, so you don't really know who you're paying it to. You're just paying it to some kind of wallet. And then you have to pay this. And as soon as you pay it, you hope that you are going to get a key back. So they will then through the, the system, because it's a piece of software that again runs on your computer, they will then give you a key, hopefully, that would then go and then decrypt these files again. And then eventually you're supposed to get your, your computer back with all your data files again. Now, this is an example of typically what might happen on a personal computer. But obviously this process can also happen on a server where company information is stored. So it's not just your own photos and, and so it's company assets that effectively gets locked away. And what happens is we've seen this now, and this Joe has also mentioned this, is we've seen this going even further and, and infecting or affecting um, industrial control systems. There was a well-known case I can't remember when it was, was it this year or end of last year where, the, no, it was this year where the gas pipeline from um, Texas to um, Florida state got shut down because of a ransomware attack. And uh, it was, uh, there was a whole lot of knock-on effects that, that occurred, occurred because of that, because they could not let the, the, the petroleum effectively go through this pipeline anymore safely because of the industrial systems that got infected with the ransomware. And they had to pay a lot of money. Well, they effectively went through a process to try and get everything back. But um, it just shows that I think the danger that we have with ransomware is that it can affect your person on the street, your own personal computer. I did mention that you get ransomware for our mobile devices as well. 
you get ransomwares for servers. So it, it affects from the small guy that works with his own little computer, medical industries. If you've got a small um, practice as a doctor, typically with one or two computers, small company, you can get infected. Two very, very big companies. And that's where, um, so everybody is effectively vulnerable to these types of attacks. And that's the dangers of this. Um, and, and it kind of, it's, it's, it's quite a great business model for these attackers, which is what we have to try and also stop. So the, the, the purpose here is, is mainly for commercial uh, 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 games or, or monetary games rather than political games or uh, maybe company secrets or... I think in, in most cases, it's definitely um, monetary or, or um, financial gain that, that it gets driven. But we do see in some cases, because a lot of these um, actors are being, um, I don't say funded, but it's effectively being driven from, out, from inside Russia, believe it or not. And there are some uh, uh, principle of a nation state um, political agenda behind some of these attacks. And uh, uh, although it's difficult to actually pinpoint that that is in fact what is happening, there are a lot of noise that um, it, it is definitely being supported by certain nation states. Um, and um, that, so, so, but primarily, obviously, there, there's a financial gain. But the problem is also this, this finance, this finance, financial gain that, that they get from these attacks gets now used for other nefarious purposes, like um, uh, child trafficking, um, uh, sex trafficking, um, proliferation of terrorism and that kind of things, because actually that's a funding model to help fund these huge um, uh, crime organizations. Other, other operations then, yeah. So tell me, Joey, when we talk about it, we can, I think we can all relate to this idea how dangerous this must be and how devastating for, for big business. When it comes to us as private uh, persons, uh, is it so then that we are locked out of our computers and, and, uh, and we, we can't get in again if we don't pay up? Or is it so that some of our data gets stolen, bank details maybe, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, actually, both can happen. They, uh, some of them, yes, they take the data out, and the, if you don't pay the ransom, it can be stolen, and it can actually also be sold on the black market like a lot of hackers are doing in any case. So if you don't want to pay, they will get some other way to get the money that they originally wanted from you. So they will just uh, do other things to the, the data as well. The other interesting thing of this ransomware as well is the fact that uh, the people get a much, uh, much better with the ransomware. If you look at the first ransomwares that uh, happened about two to three years ago, it was actually small uh, people that got little, but it's like holes in the software. If I can explain to you what they use a lot is that there are vulnerabilities in software that is running on systems. Now, uh, in most of the times, we will not know about those vulnerabilities because we buy the software and even, uh, and the software developers don't even realize that there's holes that they can get access to the software. Mm -hmm. Now, same here is that uh, people get access to software. Just a very interesting thing that I can say. You know that you get very often Windows updates. 
and especially the security updates. Now, normally that is because there are vulnerabilities in the software. Now, what these hackers uh, do, because they are actually hackers, but they just now get easier money by getting it from ran ransomware. Now, what they do is they uh, use those uh, vulnerabilities and then they bypass the security of the systems and they get in. So that is what they normally do in companies, but they can also do it by you clicking on an email or uh, even through social media that you click on things. So that is the way that they get into your system. And it's uh, you as an individual, it is really a problem because in companies, mostly people make backups on a daily basis. But do we really do make backups on a daily basis? We as individuals, no, we don't do backups on a daily basis. And that is where the big problem comes for us. So that is, uh, so there's a lot of, uh, if we talk later on the ways that we can, uh, what we can do to try and prevent us uh, falling for this ransomware, I will give some more information on that. But it is very important for us to understand that sometimes it's our mistakes, but sometimes it's software that we trusted that allowed people to come into our systems. So well, thanks for that, Joe. We will talk a little bit more about that, as you say later on, about protection and how we can protect ourselves, and particularly yeah. as private individuals, but maybe also how big businesses and companies can protect themselves as well. I just want to go back a little bit and talk about the the, the people. We talked a little bit about the people behind it, but then also this idea then that this is uh, when you pay a ransom, you know, in this in this. Uh, um, um, you, 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 you do so often in cryptocurrencies. I think it's interesting because it's, no, it's, not, it's not a blackmail game where you are asked to bring a, a bag of cash to the end of the bridge somewhere or into the woods or to meet, <laughs> meet, 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 meet a shady character. Uh, it's paid up in cryptocurrencies. And I think that an interesting question then is what, what, what happens here? If we didn't have cryptocurrencies, would we not have ransomware? Is that a Maybe, maybe not, because uh, if you look at uh, for for this uh, big hacking uh, gangs, uh, cryptocurrency is actually the way to go. But in the other ways, there are ways that they can get access to your information, and they can and they can get you to pay money into the banking accounts and immediately uh, take those banking accounts out. But in most of the times. It is actually uh, actually the big hacking companies that's doing it, and they get big money. Now, if you look at this pipeline that Yaku referred to, they actually got back some of the cryptocurrencies in that case. But the next one that this new uh, uh, group did, they couldn't get back the cryptocurrencies. And the reason why is it's very difficult in the cryptocurrencies to determine the end, uh, they can get the begin point and maybe the end, end point, but they don't see how it goes from the beginning to the end. Now, international police and cybercrime police are busy investigating a lot and trying to get uh, programs to get uh, to see where it's going, but it's up till now not uh, very well uh, established how to get those cryptocurrencies. And the big uh, Russian gangs that Yako also referred to, 
they're not interested in our small people at the moment. They're interested in big businesses. The small people are more uh, one of the hackers, et cetera, that is attacking the small people. And then there are small Bitcoins to get the money, uh, money from. But because it's not easy in Bitcoins to find out where the money is going, and it's also not easy to stop the money like banks to transfer it back, uh, it, that is the reason why they keep on using Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. I say there's different type of currencies. It's not only Bitcoin. They use different types of uh, cryptocurrencies. Of course, they are the cryptocurrencies as well. So, 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 Jack, they, you know, staying with this, this, this idea then of we, uh, policing. Can anyone? Or should anyone? And who should be policing ransomware? And can it be done? Sure. Uh, so, so the question is, can we actually police ransomware? And I think the, the challenge here is, and I think this is probably what we were building up towards. I mean, this whole business model is based upon the effective cryptocurrency um, that, that we have inside industry at the moment. If it wasn't for cryptocurrency, we would not have had these successful business models built on top of ransomware, just for interest sake. There was a few um, attempts in the early years of ransomware where they wanted to force people to pay ransom using things like certain types of um, uh, where you could buy vouchers as an example and email the vouchers to certain people that was formed but it wasn't that successful at the end of the day because it wasn't really really big money but so it's, it's honestly the whole business model is built on on top of this cryptocurrencies and the question is can we really police it i think um, without international cooperation it is going to be a futile um, operation it, it we really need to get um, international cooperation going here. There, there has been a lot of, uh, there's been a report that was uh, brought out in the beginning of this year, around March, where, um, it, where there was a lot of uh, results in the report stating that um, there needs to be a, a multi-pronged approach to try and police these things. And, and one of the ways in which this can be done is at the um, coin exchanges, so oh, sorry, the, the cryptocurrency exchanges, because at the end of the day, if you, if you pay a cryptocurrency, it's just virtual, it's just some numbers in the system somewhere. If you really want to make use of that, you have to go through an exchange to put it into um, real money. And uh, if we and, and the drive is really to try and start regulating these exchanges more and more and more. The problem, however, is that if it's not done internationally wide, it's, it's, it's going to be really difficult. And, and uh, the challenge that we have is we kind of find these, call it safe havens for our um, ransomware groups where they can actually operate from or actually use these cryptocurrency um, exchanges without them knowing, or well, with, with them without having to fear that there's a, a lot of regulation going on in our cryptocurrency exchanges. And, and, and I, so if we want to move towards a policing of ransomware, it, it's, it's, we still have to, uh, a way to go. And, and we have to start from an international perspective and then a national, and then of course we can start looking at it from an organizational perspective. But there's a lot of work that still needs to happen in international legislation and policies and that kind of things to actually help to drive this type of, let's call it policing. We do see that there are, um, or there has been successes, successes as Joey mentioned, 
where we had, for instance, Europe, Poland, things like that involved in actually trying to um, pinpoint some of these, um, because what they normally find is there's only a few wallets uh, where you actually pay into. There's not that many. I think they, they brought it down to say about 45% of around all cryptocurrency payments go into about, I think it was like 60 wallets, which isn't a lot. So if they can start pinpointing where these wallets actually are and who actually owns them um, and who can actually control them, then they can start um, getting real police work, if you want to call it that, on the ground to actually start catching criminals. But um, it's, it's still a catch-up game that we are playing you know, on an international basis. It's always follow the money, hey? And we know that with fake news, for example, a lot of seems to emanate from more or less the same sources as well, and both for commercial games and sometimes then also for political games, uh, of course. So we've talked a little bit now about, you know, all the, all the negative aspects and all the, the, the darkest sides of, of ransomware. I mean, of course, and that's not necessarily a positive uh, side of it, but of course, a lot of companies are then also buying into ransomware in order to be able to protect themselves. It's, it's the antidote in a, in a sense. And, and, you know, it does that not only, doesn't that then fuel the industry and the business even more to a certain degree? not so sure about the companies buying into ransomware. I think is that the companies don't have an option that they have to pay when they attack. But I don't think companies itself, the companies are really investing in the ransomware. It is mostly these hacker groups. But most of them are, like Yaku said, is coming from Russia, Eastern Europe, that where they do. And for them, it is actually big money. Uh, you know, you can think for yourself, uh, the, if you get a big ransom of $40 million or $50 million or $70 million that they've got now, it is a huge amount. And if you look at, the, for instance, there was one of the attacks, now it was a JB, it was a meat company in South Africa as part of the big group, they actually paid the ransomware and it was actually $11 million. It was a huge amount that they paid for that ransom. So I think companies, companies itself decides to pay or not to pay. Some of the companies that were ransomware decide not to pay because they've got other options to do. And some companies do only pay. But I don't think uh, in ransomware itself, as far as I, my research is that big companies are really investing in the ransomware. They don't invest, they, try, they invest in things to prevent them getting into ransom. But I don't know, maybe Yaku knows about big companies that's maybe doing ransomware, but I don't know about that. So I think it's more about maybe then developing software and programs that can protect yourself in this environment. Okay? So maybe Jaco then, what, what can we do to protect ourselves? What can yeah. we maybe start with us as private individuals first and then we go onto the bigger, big, big, bigger scale. Yeah, let's, I mean, if I, if I want to put my academic hat on now, and if we look at risk, we normally evaluate risk roughly using two factors, which is the impact and the likelihood of something happening. And if we can start um, at, uh, approaching the risk in, in one of these two fact or areas, then we can start actually addressing the risk. So if we take risk or ransomware as a risk, and we say, okay, can we mitigate the, the impact? Meaning, let's, say, let's assume we are going to get attacked. 
Can we make it that the impact is as small as much as possible? What can we do in that case to mitigate or minimize the impact? And Joey has already mentioned that. And, and the only real, real answer there is to ensure that we've got backup systems with that our data and our system gets backed up. Um, but that's not all, obviously, because once you've, you've backed it up, there's still a certain amount of downtime that you will occur. Uh, and, and during that time, you are going to have to spend money to get your systems back online again. So it's, it's not just for free. You're going to pay ransomware or you're going to pay recovery costs or whatever. There are costs involved in all of these things. Um, so you're going to have to try and also prepare in such a way so that that uh, recovery time is as small as possible and that you are pre as prepared as possible to actually recover it using the, let's call it the, the cheapest, easiest way as possible so that you don't have to spend a lot of money on it. Now, I do want to mention that I think our technology has caught up with us today that we can actually implement successful short time, short periods of, of recovery time frames um, in our systems. Unfortunately, it will mean that we're going to have to invest in proper implementations and planning and that kind of thing, which again, guess what? Costs money. So nothing of these things are for free. So that's the impact factor. So if we can mitigate that impact factor, then we are um, already start protecting ourselves. I'll get to what we can do as, as individuals. Sorry, Ilva, you wanna mention? No, 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 I, 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 I hear you. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a pre, the, the preemptive measures, of course, are always the most, you know. Um, Joe, is there anything you could do if you are a victim yes. then? I think, uh, I'll go back to the victim, but what is for me very important with the backups that I want to uh, say is uh, we've got, uh, there's one thing that will help you, and that is if you've got cloud backups, but cloud backups of good sources. That means only to back up to a place, the server that you've got in another place is not going to help you because it, if it encrypts your system, it will encrypt that one as well. But as things like OneDrive of Microsoft, they've got systems in that prevents for a, a ransomware. So that will definitely help you. If you do uh, use uh, that OneDrive as your backup, that means they can also roll back and that will definitely help, uh, help you to do those prevention, uh, prevention. Also, if you do backups, it's also very important that you don't keep the backup disk in your computer all the time because then it is also going to be encrypted if you get ransomware. So that is from, uh, from your, uh, that side. But there is a place that on the web, I just want to give you the, the link. It is, uh, uh, the link is idransomware dot malwarehunterteam.com now that if you've been rans uh, into ransomware and you haven't paid they've got some ways and some backups they uh, that they you can try to decrypt your files but it's not necessary that it's going to work but you can try that that uh, place that you can uh, see if i can help you if you are already attacked. But there's also another thing uh, that you can do. Remember, we all, uh, most of us are currently using Windows. Now, Windows is not a defender. And in the Windows defender, you can actually control and you can set your uh, system that it uh, cannot get to your file, some of your files and your pictures, etc. 
and you can also whitelist some of the programs there. So I think it's very important for yourself also to try and look after your systems and try everything if you don't have a normal antivirus that most of us have. But sometimes these uh, ransomware comes through the antiviruses, but I know they did tests from, uh, that I've seen on the internet that I, I checked and uh, put in this ransomware files. And when they did put in those uh, control uh, protection on the files in the Windows Defender, that they actually got back all those files at least. That will definitely help. So we have two questions in the chat as well. And someone is asking, does changing one's password help after falling for, for a ransomware scam, for example? And they also, are they still able to access the data if uh, uh, my computer or laptop is off, for example, if the machine is off? Um, maybe I can get, get that. So the, the, let's take the first question. Um, would changing your password assist if you were a victim of an attack? The general answer is not really. Um, it absolutely depends, however, on how the attack occurred. It's very rarely that an attacker would, what they call, come in through what they call a remote uh, a RAT, a remote access technology component coming into your system and then uh, getting access to your username and then in that way enable the, the ransomware. So that is, I, I'm not even aware of any way that that has ever occurred. So just changing your password will definitely not help in that case. Although I just want to mention, because what we've said is that as soon as a ransomware attack has occurred, they can, and it is possible as a secondary measure, start grabbing hold of some of your data and start making it available on, on the dark web. And some of that data might be your, um, what they call your hashing files of your, of your passwords. Mm -hmm. And then changing your password is just a good security measure anyway. So um, that is a good idea. Will it stop another ransomware attack immediately happening? Probably not. Sorry, what was the second question again was? Uh, you know, are they still uh, able to access data oh. if, uh, if a machine okay. is switched off, for example? Okay. Yeah, obviously, if a machine is switched off, then that means there's no electro, uh, um, um, system running on it. Then um, there's no way that the ransomware program can actually run at that point in time. The problem, however, is if you get to that point where, oh, my goodness, I'm, there's a ransomware attack happening on my computer. Normally users don't know when that happens, except when it's now finished encrypting everything. Um, and when it's finished encrypting everything, if you then switch off your computer, because it's already encrypted, just switching, uh, it, it doesn't really help at all. Even if you take out your hard drive and you mount it in another device, it's not going to really help because it's already encrypted at that point in time. So, um, what will help, however, is if you're getting infected with malware and the malware do have a component in where it tries to pr proliferate on the network, meaning it tries to infect other computers, then turning off your computer might be a good idea. Although here's another um, problem which we have seen. Um, historically, we've had cases where ransomware programs, which is the, the malware, wasn't written very well. That means that as soon as you switch it off, it actually starts losing some of its configuration. And even if you then pay afterwards, um, there's no way, well, the, the program is effectively broken in such a way that it can't actually recover or decrypt your system. So um, the older versions of these ransomware were, were kind of like 
put along with, with pieces of string, if you want to call it like that. And then as soon as you switch it off, it, this thing falls behind, falls away. And then there's no way for the actual ransomware program to decrypt and you get your data back. Mm. Um, so putting off, switching off your computer can be a little bit dangerous in cases where it's really that bad. Although if it tries to proliferate over your network, what your IT guys will probably try to advise you to do is switch off your network, meaning you plug your computer out of your network, you switch off your Wi-Fi so that it doesn't at least spread. But you can keep your computer running then at least so that the attacker can't get access to the data and get it off your computer anymore. And then um, you can then start going through a recovery process. It's interesting. So these are some of them, the, the, the meshes. And, and, and I can imagine that companies will be battling with this. So as of course, private individuals, we are we 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 are scared of these kind of cyber attacks and and so on. And I think that for most people, it's probably uh, along the lines of trying to protect their own private uh, personal data for um, passwords, uh, etc., and so on. And of course, you know, for for big business, there are all sorts of issues that they need to think through in this space. I. I think we have we're getting really, really interesting questions here in the in the chat box, and I just want to talk to a few of them. I think that you know it's a it, you know firstly someone is asking about the maybe semantics or I don't know, uh, but uh, uh, someone is asking is phishing scams technically the same as ransomware, for example, or is it just you know more along the lines of more traditional uh, cyber attacks? I guess the ransomware is blackmail. Yeah, I think the phishing is just to get the, uh, the information, they will get the money from another source. While a ransomware, they want the money from you. That means you have to pay because they've got that information from you. So therefore, it is a different thing. In phishing, normally they use those information to get money from your bank accounts or from other places, but ransomware, they directly want it from you and mostly like you could see it in Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. Bitcoins I think it, we see a lot of that, the emails being circulated where someone is asking for, 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 for personal information, uh, etc. Hey? And that will then be, be, be uh, a phishing, phishing attempt rather than a ransom, ransomware uh, attempt, as I understand it. You know, there's an interesting question here, and I think that this is, I'm going to direct it. I'm hoping that you both can, can, can help us with, with this one. In terms of our own um, uh, responsibilities in this environment, so of course, as a private individual, when I work on my own computer from home, et cetera, et cetera, using my own email, you know, I'm responsible for my own uh, uh, security mechanisms and how well I protect my, my data. Um, but at work, what are legally our responsibilities as employees to protect our employer's data? Uh, employers, of course, will encourage us many times to download the, the correct software, they will have their own firewalls, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But if I don't take the right precautions to keep my employer's data safe, can I be held responsible for this? Um, maybe there's, there's, there's two, two ways in which we can start approaching this. The first is from a pure internal policy perspective, your organization will definitely have a certain information security policy. Well, I hope you have. The organization will definitely have an information security policy. And they might even have a specific uh, policy that, that advises you on how you should 
act and work with your computer. And in that policy, they, they may have certain at least minimum standards, like for instance, don't go and install software that you're not aware of, don't go and install this, don't click on these things, et cetera, et cetera. And that means that if you do um, act that is not within your company policy, then it means that you are in breach of that policy. And then there can be um, certain things that can happen um, against you as an individual. So that's the one end. And the other end is obviously we know that this is July 2021 and the, the Protection of Personal Information Act is now fully enforced. And effectively, um, from a regulatory perspective, that as soon as a ransomware attack has occurred, the chances are that some of that data will include personally identifiable information is quite high. It means that the organization is legally then bound to at least inform the regulator as well as potentially affected clients and uh, affected parties of that specific information that might have been affected. Now, whether it's been breached or not, meaning whether it's been leaked out is not, uh, is not um, uh, it doesn't really matter, but the, the, the answer is that an, an outside party unauthorized access uh, was, be, was, um, was gained by this, these attackers, even though it was through ransomware, it means that unauthorized access was gained. And that means there is a regulation um, law perspective now that comes into play, which means that you as an individual must start understanding what is expected from you um, inside an organization. And it's good to say that, yes, policies, we need policies and all of these things. But um, I mean, if I just take our organization, there are so many policies. It's really very difficult for us to understand what we have to comply with and how do we comply? How do I know that we are in compliance or not? That's why we really need awareness programs um, inside our organizations to help drive certain um, things across, like what is our responsibility when we work with data and how do we work with uh, ransomware? What should we do if we do get attacked? And what is our first stop? Who should we report it to? And that kind of thing. There should be clear guidance on these things. And that I think is sometimes lacking. It's easier to blame an employee. It's not that easy to prepare an employee for them to understand exactly what they're supposed to do. I want us to talk a little bit more about that as well, how aware we are and what our what we can what, what, what we can do and, and what, what the responsibility is of an employer as well to 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 actually train employees um, uh, on on these kind of things and, and 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 then also how they protect themselves best in this environment but joy maybe first but before we go there it's, it's i mean i think it's interesting this idea then of reporting lines for example so uh, if i've been a victim for some, one of these scams uh, i imagine that if it's in the line of 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 uh, uh, work and, and work data that's, that, that I can't protect this on, that I would then report it to my employer or uh, in some way or the other. But as a private person, is there any central organization that can I go to government? Can I go to a world government to, to report and try to get this? We, we talked a little bit about Interpol earlier and, and, and tracing, you know, the, the, the scammers or the, or the blackmailers, but what do I do? Is there any, any, any recourse to take? Is there anywhere I can go to report that I've been a victim of cybercrime? At this stage, uh, the police is busy setting up a specific cybercrime center. Uh, 
that we will be able to report to. I'm not sure when it is going to be finished and in place, but when it's finished and in place, you will, uh, will be able to phone in and report to that uh, center. At this stage, uh, you can uh, report such a thing to the uh, police services, but I myself tried to report cybercrime before, and it is currently still a little bit of a challenge to uh, report it to the normal police station. But hopefully I'm not 100% sure, but I will advertise it in the very near future. There will be a helpline number that you can phone to report you as an individual cybercrime ransomware as well. I know some people, uh, uh, individuals that uh, report to the cybersecurity have some things, but they're not really set up for all these individuals phoning in. It is, they work more with the company. But hopefully, I, with the new cybercrime bill, I hope that center will be running very soon. It's interesting. So they, 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 that's a center then upcoming. And, and you are both then linked. And, and I know, Joey, you have been linked to center, but I, I imagine that there's some, you know, you're both lecturers, you're both in the academic world. What, what, what responsibility do we have? Well, maybe I should phrase it differently. What do these kind of centers do? To, uh, to, to raise awareness? And do you train employees within your own organizations? Jaco, can I expect that you're gonna train me at some point on these kind of things through the center that we have here at University of Johannesburg? Um, it's interesting, the, the Center uh, for Cybersecurity at the University of Johannesburg, we focus really on uh, awareness um, through um, short learning programs. So we've got a range of short learning programs that we really uh, try to get out into industry to make them more aware of certain cybersecurity aspects. And I mean, there's a lot of them that we do cover. In fact, we've got uh, our flagship one has got five different models or modules that, that we actually try and teach um, people um, the, the cybersecurity aspects. And, and so we see it as part of our responsibility to try and get some of these um, awareness levels up. Uh, we don't just obviously uh, focus on just uh, short learning programs, but we try and also do our part in media. So, so uh, in, in, in the department, we have a, a number of uh, well-known researchers and, and uh, academia that are not scared to actually voice their um, dialogue on media and also take part in national um, dialogue when we get to, to cybersecurity. I know Joey herself is also responsible quite a lot with some governmental organizations with like the police and so on to try and get them and, and help them to, to increase their capacity with regards to setting up these centers and so forth. So yes, we are definitely all trying to do our part um, in increasing our awareness, um, but it is in the form of a short learning program. The University of Johannesburg itself, for instance, um, I'm very proud of the ICS department. The reason is, is I, I'm, I'm, I'm an old ICS employee, actually, and they, they have made significant stride, strides in their cybersecurity awareness program. And um, I think they can obviously do better, but you know what? It also uh, amounts to how much people you have available to drive these programs and how much money you can actually um, put in your budget for that kind of thing. Mm. No, thanks for that. Is, and, and, and as, as Jacko said, Joey, he said you 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 are involved in some of these. Yeah, not the scams, but 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 the awareness <laughs> and the and the tra and the training. We hope. <laughs> so, Joey, what are you doing in, 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 from Twana's perspective, Twana University of Technology's perspective, but also for other entities that you have been involved with? 
from the university uh, perspective, we get every week and uh, sometimes a little bit longer in between from our central IT services department, some awareness briefs coming all the time. And now October is coming and normally October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So you will see there's more and more coming out. Now this October, they will talk a lot of, of this new Cybercrime Act and the Cybersecurity Awareness. But it's a, a, a very sad for me that October, they focus so much on the Cybersecurity Awareness and Awareness Month, but the rest of the year, most of, uh, of the companies do not do a lot. But I think maybe with this new cybercrimes bill that's coming out, companies will be aware that they must get more awareness because now suddenly they must be afraid that these consequences. Previously, the consequences were very, very low in distributed information. But nowadays, the, with the new cybercrimes bill, the consequences is going to be huge. But also with the implementation of this new of the police, I think in future it will really help, help the individual a lot because a lot of uh, time was spent in companies to do awareness. You've got your ICT uh, departments that's doing awareness, etc. But what about your person that's sitting in a farm between nowhere and nothing? How does that person get awareness? How does that person get more information? And I think that will be one of the things that the police will definitely give attention to in the new center is try to distribute to the normal citizens this awareness and what they must do. It's, it's interesting because maybe we need much broader campaigns and, and, and Sipokasi is saying here on, on the chat as well that I give you Jacko, uh, training and campaigns need to be done around this in our organizations. And I think this is really important, important just to raise that kind of level of awareness for all of us. And, 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 and uh, it's, it's like the general health campaigns that we sometimes see, and maybe they need to be driven to a certain extent also from, from government entities to, to make people aware of the, of the risks that, that are there. Um, I want to, to come back to some of the things that then um, um, being posted on the chat box. I think they're interesting. So someone, for example, says, what happens? I, I might be a victim of a scam. I offer to pay the money and, and, and then my data is still not secure. What guarantees do I really have? And I guess we're up against criminals here. There's no such guarantee that my data will still be intact or not, will not be resold again to another entity, for example. Yeah, I think the, that, that is the biggest problem um, is that you're never 100% sure that even if you do pay, you will actually get the keys to um, unlock your, your data again. And that is why it's uh, apart from the fact that if you do pay, you actually proliferate the business model um, th that you're not 100% sure that you will actually get um, your, your, your data back. But what we have definitely seen happening is that a lot of these organized crime syndicates They've started implementing what they call support systems so that even you as an individual, if you do struggle to get your data back, they, you can actually send them a little small little file and then they can then decrypt it and prove to you that they can actually do it. So it's kind of like a, a support system to in, encourage you to get some certainty that they will be able to actually decrypt it back. So, so they're moving towards more and more in that, that sense that, that uh, because that they feel that if you, do pay 
and you don't get your data back, then the whole business model will fall down. So they realize that there's a certain amount of support that they have to do to try and get your data effectively back. But they're not too worried about the small fry again. Um, um, I mean, it's really for the big money that they're going to try and potentially uh, help and, and support and make sure that the data comes back. Um, I just want to mention something interesting, which I've read, which is um, in the United States, we get this quite a lot these, these days where the insurance organizations or insurance companies have ransomware insurance that you can take out. And I do feel that it can actually act as a driver to help increase your cybersecurity maturity in certain organizations. Even if you're a small company, from the insurance perspective, you want to take out insurance against cybersecurity, they can have certain requirements to say, listen, um, you can take out this ransomware um, insurance, but then you have to at least enable, you need the following things in place, for instance, this and this, and they can have a, a, a few set things that at least ensures that our whole cybersecurity maturity in our organizations gets bigger, because that's another big problem I feel that we don't always address in South Africa. We can say, yeah, we do awareness and that kind of things. But unfortunately, our IT departments are, and the information security departments are understaffed, underpaid, and they just cannot implement whatever they need to, to do the proper protections. And if there's no driver for them to actually do get, and if there's no money for them to actually implement these things better, then it's not going to happen. You will not get the correct protection that you have. So maybe from an insurance perspective to help drive that live sorry, level of cybersecurity up might actually be a driver. And, it, and who knows, we can actually have a good economy running around in, in South Africa with cybersecurity happening where we can employ people in the cybersecurity industry. We can have cybersecurity products that we can resell. Um, and it can be a real good economic driver in South Africa if, if we can start just investing in that area. I, I personally believe it is something that we underinvest in South Africa. So I hear you on that investment side. I think it's interesting though to note and someone is pointing that out in the chat box as well, that, but isn't this just fueling then an industry? For example, you're staying with the, Joey, with the insurance thing that we pay up an insurance then against cyber attacks. Couldn't that fuel uh, more attacks in the sense that then uh, uh, people who are involved in these scams will target people, yeah, well, you have an insurance, so let's, let's go for you. <laughs> That is very interesting, and that actually happened. There's two insurance companies that actually didn't want to pay out for cyber attacks that actually got ransomware attacks in the last six months. Very interesting. And both, uh, both from, uh, uh, from the uh, uh, international insurance companies, and uh, because, and I think maybe. Uh, they were definitely attacked, ransomware attacks, because they didn't want to pay out for the ransomware. Because it's still a business, like Yaku said, it is definitely a business. But I think, uh, I'm not just not sure, if the, uh, these are all big business uh, insurance companies, but I don't know about insurance of, uh, private insurance of the private companies of the small insurance insurers in South Africa, not at all that I know of that will pay out for a ransomware attack. And remember, this type of attacks, if it's an individual, is mostly about 5,000 to 10,000 rands. So it's not very big when it's on individuals. The big money comes from when it's companies. That's where the big money is. So uh, that's... Yes, no, please do go ahead, Joy, I interrupted you. 
so so that is why it is for me very important that you take into consideration that uh, I rather think the insurers must start paying out for ransomware, even if it's a business. We're not going to stop it. But we, uh, it's like the same thing uh, about insuring all your data, et cetera. I think it will be the same. It's interesting, and I'm just monitoring some of the things that's being said on the on the chat here now as well. I think that we we are um, unfortunately running out of time. But just briefly from both of you, uh, in terms of the future, I mean, this is this is already a, a, a big problem. What does the future hold? Is this something that's going to be part and parcel of how we interact in 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 in, in online, and we're going to have to be aware of these things? It's going to be. Is it, my question is basically, is this going to be the future for us? It's going to become a much bigger part of our lives? Okay, I'll go first. Um, absolutely. Um, the, the, the reality is with the internet of things, we're getting just more and more devices and nodes connected to the internet that can potentially take or can be ransomed, can be encrypted, stopping certain services. Um, uh, if we cannot really disrupt the actual business model behind it, then um, we are we are in for a bad road ahead. And I believe if, as, as long as the, the cryptocurrency environment is there, it's, it's unregulated. Now, I mean, that's a whole different debate. Um, but as long as it's unregulated um, uh, and the exchanges are, are there, it's open and, and people can just get exchange money the way that they, we're going to have to live with the problem. Um, there's no, uh, unfortunate, easy answer with this. Uh, there's certain things on an international stage that can be done to help to deter and um, disrupt the actual business model um, from an organizational individual's perspective we we must definitely start preparing better and we need to be able to respond properly and i, I think those are the, the the aspects that we really have to try and address if we don't want to have this conversation in 20 years again no well, thanks for that joey just briefly would you agree with that Yes, I totally agree with that. And the other thing is like hacking is already with us for so many years and they couldn't stop hacking. I can't see that they're going to stop ransomware. Rans uh, these are the ways that criminals work. And like you, you haven't stopped criminality in the whole world. You're not going to stop this very easy. You just mm. have to work around it and see what you can do the best for the future. Mm. Thank you both for those 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 comments, and I I, I think that what we we probably have uh, we'll we'll have to come back to this topic as well in a later cloud debate to delve a little bit deeper, particularly I think around the issues around how do we deal with these criminal networks in cyberspace. And we've already talked uh, in another session about the dark web, for example. So we hopefully we can engage with you both again. It's been fascinating listening to you, and this is. Uh, it's a fascinating topic is not the right word here, but I think it's something that we need to be absolutely aware of and be, uh, uh, take precautionary measures to protect ourselves in this environment as well. So thank you very, very much. And thank you to all our participants and to uh, the audience who have been participating online and through the chat box. Uh, we don't always have time to engage with all the questions that come up, but as I say, I hope that we can do so in a future cloud debate as well. The University of Johannesburg, the future reimagined.